Joining us today, yeah. uh, Brisbane's number one podcaster, also Brisbane's most handsome podcaster, and of course, the thing that he will be known for when he passes off this mortal coil, the inventor of the Ray Harris soundboard. Uh, <laughs> from the uh, Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove, um, coincidentally the uh, the name of Ray and I's uh, next tour of America, uh, <laughs> Trevor Bell. Yes. Welcome back to the Bullshit <laughs> Filter, Mr. Yeah. Bell. Thank you, Cam. Oh, and also, and, and the, the head of the, uh, you know, Queensland Satanist Organisation or whatever you are, the official legal here, representative here. of uh, the Queensland Satanists. Yeah, all, all of those things. But to be Brisbane's most handsome podcaster, it was a pretty low bar, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm having fun. Now I'm, I'm glad I came. Yes. <laughs> Everybody's um, happy. Okay, so uh, we're recording this, just for the record, uh, 9 a.m. on the uh, 25th of February, Brisbane time, uh, yes. early evening, 24th of February, uh, American time, well, Ray Harris time, anyway, East Coast time, just for the right. record, because who the fuck knows what's going to happen between now and uh, when you hear this, boys and girls. But, it's moving um, fast. Yeah. Moving fast. Yeah, um, I'm surprised. I don't know about you guys, but I'm surprised at how quickly this has moved over the last week. Uh, Trevor, I know you'd done a couple of shows on your podcast about the situation over there. Were you surprised that it got to this point and moved this quickly, or did you see it coming? No, I was surprised. Um, so we're sort of in an age where we don't expect leaders to actually do things, you know, sort of expect <laughs> Good or bad. talk. Yeah, and right. so yeah. I think uh, what struck me is, is just how... You know, like it or not, he is a man of action. Got to give him that. And um, we don't really see that a lot from our leaders. So, um, so yeah, it was surprising to see somebody just having the balls to do something. And, um, yeah, so I was surprised for sure. I thought it was a show of force to bring them back to the table. Um, I didn't expect him to actually push the button, but, that I mean, that just shows you how fucking serious the situation is. I guess, uh, from Putin's perspective. But anyway, let's get into that. So yesterday, uh, Putin announced that he was starting a special military operation in in Ukraine, as I'm sure everybody already knows. He said his goal was to demilitarize, but not to occupy the country. And he said that countries that intervene will face consequences Mm -hmm. and... Reminded everyone that Russia is a major nuclear power when he said that. Directly said that. We are a major nuclear power. There will be consequences. So that's not fucking around. Like, that's... uh, you. What 
get in the way. Yeah. No telling what I'm we might push a do. Button. I'm going to push a button. What's, what's Russian for release the Kraken? I think it's probably <laughs> what he should have said. I don't know. Maybe he did. I don't speak Russian. But uh, that's a pretty intense uh, threat to put out there. Hey, just letting you know, we got nuclear missiles. And if you want to try to defend this not country, um, you'll, you'll suffer for it. Yeah. According to the New York Times, minutes later, large explosions were visible near Kharkiv, Ukraine's second largest city, and blasts were reported in Kiev, the capital, and other parts of the country. And that was yesterday. And since then, obviously, yeah. there's seems to have been a lot of fighting going on. I believe, uh, according to Ukraine's foreign minister, they've taken the Russians have taken Kiev airport. There's also a lot of, uh, I don't know if you guys have been watching this, but there's a lot of fake footage and fake media running around. The BBC fact checkers are doing a good job on Twitter, surprisingly, being the BBC, are doing a pretty good job of calling out the fake. There's a lot of old footage that's being pushed around on social media as, look, here's uh, the Russian Air Force invading, but it's like a an air demonstration from four years ago of Russian planes. Right. There's a lot, lot of lot of fake footage out there not being put out by the Russians, I imagine. Uh, I don't think they need to over-demonstrate yeah. what they're already doing. So it's coming from Ukraine or the US or NATO or just, I don't know, people on Twitter. <laughs> I don't know who's who's doing it, but um, a lot of fake footage right. out there. But it's, it's a real thing. Um, the uh, uh, Putin said that this strike against the American-led world order uh, was long overdue, and he described the American-led world order as an empire of lies, not a nation's... What empire isn't? Well, good was, point. Was he reading from your notes at the time, Ken? Yeah, he's obviously a big listener of the uh, <laughs> bullshit felder. <laughs> Uh, The United Nations Security Council held an emergency meeting imploring him not to invade. Uh, Now, Putin has positioned it as um, being invited in. He obviously recognised the day before in his big speech, which we'll get into in a second, he... He, he said that he had decided to recognise the separatist governments of the Donbass region, Donetsk and Luhansk. Um, and then he said that they had invited the Russians to come in to assist, peacekeeping mission, etc., etc. Um, now... Well, he was probably right about that because they did have a little signing ceremony, didn't they, with yeah. the leaders of those regions... Yes. Signing pieces of paper and, and yes. saying, you know, that's true. And and we'll get into how legitimate that whole process is. We can compare it to Afghanistan in 1979. But, you know, I've, I've despite my best attempts not to get engaged, um, have had to respond to a couple of idiots on Facebook, naming no names. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he said no names, damn it. <laughs> Now we got to start this whole thing over again. Okay, and, take two. And Ray's not even your real name. That's your title. Well, it's not, not a lot of no. people know that. That's a title that was no. given to you at birth. It's, it's not really your, your, your true name. Right. We're not allowed to speak right. your true name out loud or who the fuck knows what could no. happen. But anyway. Um, End of the world. Look, I keep getting told on Facebook that I'm supporting mm. Putin or I'm a Putin puppet. Or that I'm on the wrong. Some idiot on Facebook this morning told me I'm the I'm on the wrong side of history because I'm supporting Ooh. Putin. I keep having to point out to stupid Americans that 
talking about history is not supporting something. It's just explaining right. how we got here. Here, here is the facts. There is, there is, uh, there are consequences for actions in geopolitics. If country A does something that country B doesn't like, country B is often going to respond. And then country yeah. C might get involved and country D and country A will respond. But that's, that's how geopolitics works. Yeah, but works. Eh, a lot of Americans don't like to uh, acknowledge that there are a succession of events. As soon as I go, well, you know, somebody did this because of these things, they go, oh, it's whataboutism, which I keep explaining right. isn't a real thing. Uh, what we're just pointing out when we come up with these um, examples is either the succession of events that led to where we are today or the fact that there are double standards being played here, that country A thinks it's okay to do this, but then when country B does something very similar, they go, oh, look at what they're doing. And country right. B's going, well, it's, you know, we can't let you just run around and do this kind of shit and take over the world. We have to respond in some way, shape or form. Right. One of the problems, Cam, is that your role in this world is to provide the counter-narrative uh, to what's sort of normally out there. And because the, the, the normal story is out there so much and you're trying to provide the counter one, people think you must be in favour of it. And because you sort of talk about it all the time to try and balance out uh, the sort of standard story, people are convinced that because you talk about it all the time, you must be in favour of it. And I think... Caitlin Johnston is sort of suffering from this a bit as well, where she keeps talking about how bad the American empire is. And she says it's because nobody else is talking about it. They get plenty of their own press and uh, little people like us have to talk about these things because nobody else does. And because we do, people think we're in favour of it just for talking about it. Mm. And I don't see it as the counter narrative. I see it as the narrative. This is, mm. this is, this is, mm. this, these are the objective facts as far as we've been able to determine them. And well, it's often the other side of the story. Like you're hearing one well, side the of the story, story often. It's Correct. the yes. full story, not the one side yes. of the story. Now, look, right. and, and, and I, I, I keep trying to tell certain people who go unnamed, but I used to do a podcast with on Facebook, <laughs> that it's not my job. I'm always getting asked, well, do you support these actions or condemn them? Okay, it's not my job to support or condemn anything. For a start... It's very difficult to take a moral position on things like this because they're incredibly subjective. You know, what country A thinks is right, country B thinks is wrong, and may have very valid reasons for thinking this is wrong because it goes against their interests. Um, mm. So I, it's not my job to support or condemn. I mean, if I had to condemn, I would just condemn everything because uh, I think, it, you know, all of this stuff is interventionism way. and, and uh, not good. But... I, I tend not to take a position on supporting or condemning. What I try and do, because that's a subjective exercise, I try and be objective. Here are the facts. This is the history. This is how we got here. I'm interested in what countries do and why they do what they do. It's, I, I don't feel obliged to take a position on it. Not that no, one, no one cares what my position is, whether I support or condemn. No one's paying any attention. No one gives a fuck. Apart from, you know, virtue signalers on Facebook wanting to put a flag on their thing so they feel better about themselves. Um, look, this is the typical fake American red team, blue team binary bullshit that I have no tolerance for. No one gives a fuck what you think and what your moral viewpoint is on it. Let's try and be objective and look at the facts as we know them.
doesn't that mean though um you're kind of a dinosaur because everything is so partisan now and every everything everybody gets so wrapped up and and alluding to what you were just talking about I mean, everybody's no don't say everybody opinion just is say so americans right the rest of the world <laughs> okay the rest of All the right. world doesn't act like this this is an american mindset of partisan right right you know just it's it's mm. uh, i yeah. think australia's catching up well <laughs> some australians mm, have drunk the american kool-aid right. yeah but yeah mm. It's an American mind virus. I got you. But but if everybody is in in America, we are unable to talk about facts without our own point of view, without our own particular morality or whatever. And so if you say something the slightest bit different, we're just going to assume that you're on the other side and attack you or question you. I I get what you're doing. You're just listening events and you're listening to facts you shouldn't have to say every 15 seconds by the way i'm just telling you what is uh, this is not me you know but you don't want to have to do that but for americans it seems like you would have to have a disclaimer in there roughly one a minute you know we if you did not want to be attacked we we we, we talked about this uh, a month or two ago on this show the mind virus right and and it's and it's prevalent right now with this kind of stuff too and i see the same thing whether I'm talking to, you know, Americans about Ukraine and Russia or I'm talking to fundamentalist Christians about my Bible documentary or COVID conspiracy theorists uh, on the facts around how the medical system works or, or you know, how science works. Mm-hmm. There are, it, it comes down, I think, to faith. You know, these people on Facebook, these Americans, have faith in what their government tells them. They have faith that America is good and everything America does is good just because America did it. And Mm -hmm. uh, anything that challenges that narrative is immediately tainted and evil evil in their minds. It's the same as talking to Christians about facts. It's the same as talking to COVID conspiracy nutjobs about facts. They just, they they literally, I, I, I believe, they cannot process facts. There's something wrong with their brains. They've got this mind virus that's built around faith in what they believe is true. It's not, they don't have a fact-based approach to the world. They have a faith-based view. They they don't see it that way. They think their faith is based on facts. But you can tell the difference because if somebody is basing their worldview, their viewpoint, on facts, they can have a rational discussion about facts and evidence. You can say, well, here's the evidence that I'm basing my viewpoint on. Where's yours? What's yours? What are you basing it on? Somebody with a rational fact-based viewpoint will go, well, I I have a challenge with this fact because it was refuted here or your interpretation of it, I think, is wrong because of these reasons. And here's some counter-evidence and counter-facts. That's that's the kind of conversation that you have with a fact-based person, two fact-based people. Instead, what you get from all of those people I mentioned before, whether it's the COVID nuts or the religious nuts or the American nuts, it's they don't do that. They go, you're a puppet. You're an idiot. You, you're a sheep. Right. You've drunk the Kool-Aid. They, they just go straight to insult mode. They don't, they, they don't even address the facts. They don't try and address them. They don't go, well, you know, that's all, you know, they, you know, they, they can't engage in a rational conversation has been my experience. I, 
I have to say, as an American, everything you just said sounds unchristian and un-American to me. <laughs> no, and I'm not. And no, but I'm being absolutely serious. It's like I feel a certain way. So if you if you say something against that, you're either going straight to hell where you belong. Well, we all know or that's you're, true. You're, <laughs> right? or, or you're somehow not faithful to the American idea, which why should you be? But you're 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 not an American. But do you get what I'm saying? We have two pillars. We have some of us faith trust some of our politicians, and some of us trust certain leaders in the church. And every, and whenever you open your mouth, quite honestly, you're pissing off one or both of those groups at any one time. So That's my I'm job. not surprised. Yeah. Hello, we'll be coming it, over no, in, and you on should. the fifteenth of June for a month. So <laughs> <laughs> bring it on. Can I, can I ask a go ahead, can, can go ahead as you're talking there I was thinking like you spend your whole life arguing with people clearly mm. but most people don't and they avoid arguments mm. and um, with my podcast we talk about uh, it's a podcast about news and politics and sex and religion all the things you're not supposed to talk about at a dinner party mm. and, and it's true we're sort of being yes. told oh don't enter those topics because mm. You know, fights will Trey break out and mm. yeah. we avoid them. So we're actually out of practice mm. when it comes to debating these things and people have lost the skills of doing it. Yeah, and yeah absolutely. Assembling right. facts and, and cobbling it's together scary. arguments. Um, people. Yeah, people have lost the skill. I mm. remember being told as a kid not to talk about those things around the dinner table. I was like, well, what the fuck else is there to talk about? Like Sport. Uh, yeah. 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 People fight about sport too. <laughs> go, you know, go live in Melbourne for 20 years like I did. People will pull a knife on you if you say something bad about their football right. team. Can I ask a question real quick? Um, before we go too far into this, at the very beginning of this episode, Cam, you asked, you know, were you surprised about how far Putin is taking this? And so my, I don't obviously have the answer to that, but my thing is, so where are we at now? Is this cold war take two? Is this cold war two electric boogaloo? Is this containment part due? Is this the beginning of the planet of the apes? I really don't know where we're at right now, but I can certainly see uh, some other life form taking over as we blow each other to smithereens with our various nuclear missiles. Well, but hopefully it doesn't come to that. Yeah, look, I, I, I mean, I wasn't completely surprised. I mean, you know, he intervened in Georgia. He intervened in Crimea. So this was, mm -hmm. it was something that we before. knew that was a possibility. Uh, I yeah. didn't expect it to be this big and this large. And, and it happened this quickly. But anyway, let's yes. get into the facts as we know them with that preamble about, look, this is just facts. If you don't like the facts, <laughs> I'm sorry. Leave. Uh, oh, and if yeah. you think I'm wrong, wrong or we're wrong or you want to disagree with anything, that's why I brought Trevor on because, you know, Ray will never disagree with anything. So it's Trevor's job to disagree if he spots a flaw in this analysis. I'll, I'll do my best. Yeah. The first, He's not a gentleman. I think the first thing I want to call out is that the build-up of Russian troops on the border wasn't as innocent as Putin claimed. Uh, this right. is obviously part of his plan. The Americans mm -hmm. said he was planning an invasion. We have to give them uh, credit for being right in this instance. He, uh, he was, it would appear. I don't think um, there's a, a narrative that can be constructed that said this is an accident. <laughs> Just happened to right. have 150,000 troops on the border and then, yeah. oh, well, that, now that we're that here. Months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Americans were saying in. it was a false flag. There was going to be a false flag that was going to justify pressure, pressure. the invasion. 
Right. Would right. either of you interpret what's just happened as a false flag? I've seen some news coverage trying to spin it into a false flag, but it, to me, this isn't a false flag. A false flag is an attack that is made to look like, uh, you know, the, the country that you want to attack attacked you. It's it's uh, the... Yeah, the defending. Yeah, it's the burning of the Reichstag. It's, uh, you know, it's right. the bombing of whatever, the, the Lusitania. It's, uh, you know, mm. it's some sort of fake incident that's made right. to look like a realism that you can justify an attack on. Do you think this fits mm. that criterion? Well, you, you only sort of bring about, you sort of um, create a false flag if you're worried about PR, but Putin doesn't care. Like he said, no. I'm not going to worry about that shit. I'm just going to invade. Like why, why muck around with a false flag? Let's just, let's just go. So, so he, he, he is, though, using claims of genocide by the Ukrainians against the people in Odessa and Donbass as justification for his actions. We'll get into that in the text of his speech. I'm not really sure... Uh, how accurate those claims are, but again, that's not a false flag. He's he's he may be exaggerating the extent mm -hmm. of the violence by the Ukraine on the people in these areas, and who's to blame and who started and all that kind of stuff. But again, not a false flag. So the uh, the Americans, if they turn around and said, "Well, okay, it wasn't a false flag," uh, okay, we were wrong on that, or maybe we 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 scared him off with that, and he decided just to be blatant about it because we called it, he was going to do it. But they're trying, to, they're trying to shoehorn what actually happened in as a false flag, I've seen in media reports. I'm like, don't do that. Don't try. Don't, 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 yeah. don't, try, and, don't try and do that. It's not going to work. Um, it, I mean, the violence, for people who haven't been paying attention, the violence between Ukraine and Donbass has been going on since 2014. We'll talk a little bit about... Um, the history behind that as we go forwards. But, you know, we said earlier that Putin's claiming that he was invited in by the separatists, probably true, but different from Afghanistan. So I had a debate, you know, Ray and I did a couple of episodes uh, recently on this show about the Russian invasion of Afghanistan, quote unquote invasion of Afghanistan in 1979. Um, and I've had, you know, d debates with American morons on Facebook about this in recent weeks too. But the established facts in every fucking book you want to read, like people keep saying, what's your source? I'm like, every fucking book on the subject is my source. The established facts of that, as we talked about last time, was that the president of Afghanistan, Taraki, kept begging the Russians to come in to help him fight the Mujahideen terrorists in the country that were being supported by the US and Pakistan. Uh, Brezhnev said no for about a year. Listen, dude, if we come in, it's just yeah. going to make a bad situation worse. The last thing anyone wants to see is Russian tanks and Russian planes and Russian soldiers in your country. Just fucking deal with it. We'll, we'll, we'll give you some spot support, but just deal with it yourselves. Then Armin assassinated Taraki, and then Armin mm. kept asking Brezhnev to come in. Dude, we need your support. We need your mm. help. Finally... Brezhnev could see that Amin had lost the plot. If they didn't go in, it was going to get worse. It's right on their border. They'd already lost Pakistan. So they went in and uh, assassinated Amin and re-established mm -hmm. stability there. And it would have all been over in about a month 
if the Americans hadn't have, uh, you know, Bre- uh, Brzezinski hadn't have come up with this idea to give the Russians their own Vietnam and they extended it for 10 years. Those are established facts. There's, there's no denying that that's the order of events and that the legitimate government of Afghanistan invited the Russians in. Okay, here we've got yeah. separatists who Putin has now recognised, mm-hmm. not without reason, in this area, um, that have invited mm-hmm. him in. It's different. I think it's less legitimate because we know the separatists have been supported, orchestrated, engineered by Russia since 2014. So it's like yeah. uh, me sending a friend into your house with a gun and, you know, he takes over one of the bedrooms in your house and then a year later he invites me to come in and take over the rest of the house yeah, well, mm-hmm. you know, really, is that is that legit? Uh, probably not. Yeah. It's a bit dodgy. What do you think, Trevor? Oh, um, look, I think a lot of these sort of uh, historic battles are ethnic groups within sovereign countries having differences of, of opinion and wanting their own sovereignty. We're seeing that all the time, aren't we, with different uh, Islamic groups. So it's tricky when you've got... Well, previously, the, um, you know, the British carving up the Middle East, running lines through tribal areas, and often what they would do, it seemed, was, was put the minority group in power, um, knowing that they would have to be friendly with the UK in order to maintain their power. So it's a common story where we've got sovereign countries made up of, of different cultural groups, and invariably those cultural groups want to split off and how do we recognise it as being legitimate or not? It's just really hard to know, do those people really want to be part of Russia? Do they really want to carve off or not? We'll never, it's hard to tell. You well, know, polls and elections are held, but we don't know whether they're validly held or whether people have received all the information. Unless you're really on the ground, you just would never know where the truth lies in these separate cultural groups and their, and their genuineness in wanting to carve off from the, from the main country they're within. There have been some surveys done in Donbass over mm-hmm. the years, as there were in Crimea before Putin went into Crimea, that suggest that a large percentage of the population in both Crimea and Donbass, it was the majority in Crimea before the Russian invasion of Crimea, wanted Crimea to join Russia again. Um, not quite the majority in Donbass, but a significant percentage of the population wants at least autonomy from Ukraine, if not uh, annexation by Russia or to join Russia. Sorry, Ray, you were going to say something? But if I could just be that one person that likes to observe the legal niceties. Yes, um, from what I gather when I did uh, research on this with my brother, um, you know, a lot of the people in Crimea were happy to be a part of Russia. But when you go in and you go in with guns, even if the other side doesn't shoot back, uh, if you go in with guns, you know, how did you take that country over? And as far as what's going on in the Ukraine right now, Putin could have just taken and absorbed those two areas, those provinces, whatever the proper term is. That's not what he's doing. He's bombing all over the country. He's got troops, what, roughly 20 or 30 miles away from the capital because they're coming up from the north. And so taking those two regions where the people are supposedly being victimized is one thing. Launching an assault against large sections of the entire country, that's something altogether. That's a proper invasion and that's what's going on so again does does putin lose the moral high ground if he ever had it 
um, once he starts using violence against, when, when, if you're the person that starts the fighting, do you lose the moral high ground? Or do you, yeah, in your argument? But he would say he didn't start the fighting, that there's been fighting on that. There has been fighting, on that but, now the but then now there's this level of fighting, and Putin is the one who threw out the nuclear weapons uh, threat or whatever you want to call it. So hmm. I don't know, it's, it's kind of on him. It could be that he, who knows how it pans out, it could be he only wants to take the Donbass region, but mm -hmm. in order to make that easier, he's bombing the major military areas in the, in the general sort of Ukrainian area just to sort of keep them busy so that he can secure that Donbass region and has no, no intention of actually taking the rest of it. Who knows how it pans out? And you can yeah, argue... That's fine. You can that argue makes that's, sense militarily. And it's mm. also makes, not, it also makes sense from a humanitarian perspective. You can, you can put together a rational argument that... The, the mm. shorter this war is, the less lives are going to be lost. The way of shortening the war is destroying Ukraine's ability to fight back. Mm. Right? That's the way He's of... just being yeah. a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making yeah. that argument, but I'm saying if you wanted to yeah, make a, right. that argument... for make this, it intense. This is the humanitarian... Short. Yeah, the, the shorter the war... Short and sharp. Short and sharp, exactly. Now... But the, the, like my lovemaking. He's, he's, he's just an old, he's just an old-fashioned guy, Putin. <laughs> well, when he wants regime. When he wants regime change, he mm, just goes in what? by force and does it. Whereas right. the American approach has been to do it by stealth, Sneak. with yeah, with um, yeah. behind-the-scenes stuff that nobody sees and is quite complicated yeah. to explain mm -hmm. and doesn't end up on is the that news. Wrong? Mm -hmm. Is that more honourable? Yeah, yeah. Know. We'll get into that when we start talking about his yeah. his speech and all of the propaganda around his speech, which is fascinating. But mm -hmm. You know, the point I wanted to make with recognising separatists, though, is there's all this moral outrage in the Western media that he's recognising the separatists. You know, I'm thinking, well, how is this different from Obama sending troops into Syria in 2011, supporting the separatists or the, the Syrian opposition, if you like, against uh, Assad? Or right. the Trump administration supporting Guaido in Venezuela against Maduro just a few years ago with, you know, no, no complaints from anyone else in America at the time. There was no military, U.S. military incursion in Venezuela, but there seems to have been one attempted, but uh, mm -hmm. Maduro was able to shut it down before it got started. It was a sneaky, you know, CIA operation coming in via... It was Colombia or Bolivia at the time with a bunch of uh, ex-American operatives that got caught mm -hmm. or uh, American yeah. operatives that got caught leading the whole thing, a bit like the Bay, uh, sort of the Bay and Pigs was supposed to be. Um, right. You know, it's America is more than happy to support directly or indirectly separatists, oppositions in countries. And when they do it, that's fine. Oh. It's fine and dandy. It's you know, that's, you know, we're supporting the good guys against the bad guys. When Russia does it, it's automatically, um, you know, moral, moral outrage mm -hmm. that he would yes. support separatists. Well, How one man's you. terrorist is another man's freedom fighter, isn't it? It's <laughs> that should be the tagline to this show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's just talk about Donbass for people who aren't, uh, haven't done much reading about this. So Donbass is... The name given to a, a region of Ukraine that, that borders Russia, it's made up of two oblasts, two, two you know, uh, uh, what would you call it? What's, what's 
like a state, I guess. Is, how would you define an oblast? Just a, mm. a territory, a region? Province, territory. Province yeah. is probably a good word for it. The Donetsk area and the Luhansk area. Very large Russian population. Um, I think it produces a lot of coal, quite a bit of manufacturing in there, quite a, quite a useful territory economically. And we also mm. need to point out too that, you know, we'll get into this when we get into Putin's speech, but, you know, Russia's relationship with Ukraine is important to Russia, not just because they're on their border and are therefore a potential threat if they end up in the arms of NATO, but also, you know, a large producer of agriculture, mining, manufacturing, very also a big customer of, of, of Russian gas and energy and those sorts of things. I think we talked about that on our last episode, Ray. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a breadbasket. And so what, for yes. For a lot of Europe. Yes. And what happened in Donbass in 2014 is after the US coup in 2014 that we talked about in last time. So just as a reminder to people, um, after Ukraine separated from the Soviet Union in 1991, they had a mostly pro-Russian government for the next, mm. whatever, 23 years. Uh, no, 12, 13 years. Then in 2004, there was the Orange Revolution where they ousted the pro-Russian government and installed a pro-Western government. Evidence seems to indicate that that was a US-led coup. Uh, we, we talked last time that the uh, European managing editor for The Guardian wrote a big piece just after the coup had gone down about American USAID, those sorts of organisations, sinking millions and millions of dollars into that over the previous years and how it fit the pattern of the other coloured revolutions that were going on, et cetera, et cetera. Also, the pattern that we've seen in our Cold War show and on this show that America's been doing pretty much since they overthrew Mossadegh in Iran in 53, tried and tested pattern of funding uh, a people's revolution from behind the scenes, promising, right. promising support in terms of propaganda, money, weapons, people if necessary, uh, depending on what's required. So they, they, the, there was a probable US-led coup in 2004, but then the Russian pro-Russian party came back. <laughs> they were like, mm -mm. they had free elections and then the Russian party got back in in 2010. And there was like, well, oh, fuck, yeah. that wasn't supposed to happen. So there was the, <laughs> then there was the Euro Maiden riots in 2014, uh, which led to the installation of another pro-Western government. This is the one where Victoria Newland, uh, the U.S. Deputy Secretary of State and the ambassador to Ukraine, their mobile phone call was leaked just afterwards, yeah. probably bugged by yeah. Russia, I imagine. It was leaked and never denied um, by the U.S. In fact, they apologised for it because she said, fuck the EU. And so they, the U.S. had to apologise for it, where they were talking amongst themselves about who they were going to install as the new president of Ukraine. And like it was ours. Yeah. Yatsum. It was ours to give. Well, it was. Yeah. It was a U.S.-led, it seems. True. Based on what we know, it seems like it was a US-led thing. There was mass killings happened during that. No one was ever brought to account. No one was ever charged, um, et cetera, et cetera. So the 2014... The thing about that, you say we're talking about uh, Yanukovych, uh, who was overthrown in the, in the coup, and 
One of your favourite authors, Matt Taibbi, he argues that Yanukovych really was relatively pro-Western and it's just that he wasn't pro-Western enough. And um, the sort of the argument I've been reading is that he needed money and wanted to borrow it and the IMF said, sure, we'll lend you money, but of course, with the usual caveats that you've got to open up your economy. Give us all oh, your and these, these subsidies you've been giving your population for cheap um, uh, fuel for uh, warmth and, and whatever, you're going to have to stop that. And, and they had a series of conditions that just made it unpalatable. It was a typical sort of neoliberal type caveats to the loan. And and so while Yanukovych was wanting to do a deal with, be sort of pro-Europe and, and looked at the IMF, he couldn't get an acceptable deal and and then sort of fell over and went with a Russian deal instead. So it wasn't if he, as if he was that much um, not Western. He was sort of looking at it, but just not enough for <laughs> the taste of the powers that be. Right. Yeah, mm. well, to remind people from El Asho, in two, so 2004 there was the first coup. Um, surveys of the Ukrainian population at the time indicate that they didn't want to join NATO. They saw no advantage and, in fact, quite a lot of risk in joining NATO. Barry and Stan were brought in. There was a four-year-long multi-million dollar, I think $6 million that we know of was spent on a PR campaign, pro-NATO PR campaign in the country. 2008, at the Bucharest summit, it was decided that Ukraine would be let into NATO. Then Mm. then Yatsenuk got back, uh, sorry, uh, 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 Yuchenko got back in in 2010. Is that right? I'm trying to Yanukovych, remember what I said. Sorry, Yanukovych. Yeah. 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 Going back in 2010. And then the horse trading went on between the US on one hand, Russia on the other hand. He finally decided to go with Russia. Then the 2014 riots, protests, coup happened. So the Euro, So that then led to the separatist movements arising in... Um, in the Donbass region. Now, the Rand Corporation, uh, American uh, intelligence organization, I guess you call them research any, intelligence. Any relation to Ayn Rand? Uh, no. <laughs> Gotta hope uh, not. Sadly oh, not. Thank you. I love Ayn Rand, but no. Says the conflict started as a local affair but was quickly supported by Russia. Uh, here's what they said. I read their report on it. It said a coterie of well-known local political agitators, businessmen and members of fringe political organisations with a Russian imperialist bend led the initial effort. Moscow sought to foster this movement in Ukraine through oligarchic connections and intertwined circles of powerful regional business interests combined with local criminal elements. The tactics appeared to be improvised, employing a diversity of individuals with little in common other than their opposition to Ukraine's new government. Russia fostered this subversion with a supporting cast of intelligence operatives, its own citizens, an informal network of fighters from the post-Soviet space and local security forces who turned against Ukraine's government. So that's Rand Corporation's perspective. It did start as a local domestic thing. Russia jumped on board quickly and supported the whole thing. And it's been going on ever since, eight years. This thing has been growing and growing. There's been several attempts at peacekeeping through the Minsk agreements that we'll get into. Richard Sakwa, who I mentioned in our last uh, shows on this, who's um, professor of political history at University of Kent, specialising in Russia and Putin and Ukraine. He's written a whole bunch of books on Putin and Ukraine. 
he uh, they always bring him on to panel shows on Al Jazeera and BBC and stuff like that, where he's always arguing against pro-Western academics. He's going, well, that's actually not the history of what happened here. He actually <laughs> made a point uh, in recent weeks saying that he thought the West would love to see Russia invade, that they've been trying to prod Russia into evading like they did in Afghanistan. It's mm. That's what they've been hoping for, is for Russia to invade, drawing them into a quagmire, you know, being able to justify sanctions and military interventions and all this kind of stuff to cripple Russia even further. So from his perspective... Putin might be playing directly into their hands, uh, turning, you know, the majority of Ukrainians who weren't already against Russia against them too in the process and maybe speeding up their acceptance into NATO. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the whole Russian claims versus US claims over who started what in Donbass kind of reminds me a lot of those early years in Syria. You know, Ray, you remember when we when we started this series, we started mm-hmm. it with about 300 episodes on the Syrian civil war, <laughs> I seem to recall. Yes. Many, many years Trying ago. To go back. Right. And we know that there were lots of claims the US were making um, in the years, or actually right up into the Trump years, about yeah. the Basad government using chemical weapons on their own people. And we pointed out yeah. at the time that the, the, the evidence that they were providing didn't look very good and the OPCW right. stuff seemed a bit shady. And in the last couple of years, I know that we've talked about this too, is, you know, whistleblowers from the OPCW have come out and said, yeah, that was all faked, it was all US pressure, it was all bullshit. So it's, it's really hard, again, when we're unpicking this stuff, that we know that, you know, we shouldn't trust anything Russia says. We can't trust anything the Americans say about this either. We're always right. in this situation where we just, you know, despite people on Facebook saying that I'm Putin's puppet, we don't trust anybody on this show. We we know that yeah. everyone's telling lies. Everybody's a motherfucking liar. Every, yeah. It's all propaganda. I'm not. Yeah, propaganda. Except except Trevor. Trevor's the only person you can trust. He is the straight yeah. line that's good looking wavers. and never lies. That's why he's Brisbane's that's number right. one podcaster. <laughs> I feel dirty and not in a good way. There you go. <laughs> oh. I knew that was coming. He's speaking Cantonese. There you go. Um, <laughs> where's where's my royalty checks, by the way? Where's my on. royalty checks? Fuck you. Where's mine? Sorry that I shouldn't have said that. I, I look, apologize. I looked for a trademark. I didn't see any trademark. I just <laughs> uh, I had my trademark lawyers go over it. They said I'm in the clear. You can get fucked. Couldn't both of you. Couldn't find. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Where were we? Yeah, now, again, back to Richard Sakwa, the uh, guy from the University of Kent. He says that, uh, this was a few days ago, but he said this is Putin bashing at the door trying to get the US and NATO back to the negotiation table. Mm. Like we we said on our last shows, and Putin said in his speech, uh, which we'll get into in a second, They've been, you know, they've been trying to stop NATO from expanding through diplomatic processes for decades. (laughs) And even most recently in his discussions with the US and the UK and France and Canada, 
He's been trying to get them to listen to his very serious concerns, Russia's various serious yeah. concerns, about the implications to them if Ukraine joins NATO and the US's position, NATO's position on it is literally telling him to go fuck himself. They're basically saying it's not yeah, on the you table. Lost. It's not on the table. Yeah. Don't bring it up. Don't yeah. mention it ever again. It's we're never going to talk about that. It's just a non-starter yeah. is what Biden says. It's a non-starter. Right. So when somebody has tried through diplomacy, it reminds me of Castro in the early days, tried through diplomatic means to stop Batista's regime, took him to the courts, you know, fought over the mm -hmm. Constitution, et cetera, et cetera. When you've tried dipl every diplomatic method available to you and you're getting nowhere, what, what's your, what's, what, are you, what are your options? If you're being threatened, if you feel you're being threatened and you've tried every legal recourse available to you, and it's not only not working, you're being told, don't even go there. Don't even talk about it. Yeah. It's not even on the table. Yeah. We're to not even going to. Yeah, we're not even going to talk about it. Go fuck yourself. Right. Right. What? Literally, this is my question to people. What's he supposed to do? Keeping in mind that yeah. he's got his own domestic political situation to worry about. He he's got a whole brand built on being the the tough guy, the autocratic leader. You know, Russia. Russia's a dangerous place to, to be rich and powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't think that's a stretch. He's been in power for, what, 20, 27 years? <laughs> since whatever. Some yeah, shit. Yeah, the late Long 90s. Uh, 25 yeah. years, I would, t I would hazard a guess, in one form or another, right? Um, right. <clears throat> he's a smart guy. He's a powerful guy. He's done. He's obviously a very smart guy. You don't stay in power in a place like Russia for that long. Uh, at not being fucking smart and tough, brutal, yeah. but uh, yeah. you know, if if he can't stop the gradual um, surrounding of Russia by Russia's declared enemies, he's probably not going to yeah. stay in power much longer. Right? Could find himself on the wrong end of a poisoned umbrella. Um, so <laughs> I don't know about that one so much. No. I don't know that um, there was a, a lot of people in the government who are as keen as Putin to, to do this. So it just strikes me that it was reading between all the lines that, that he was the driver of this rather than people within the government. I don't see this as one where the, uh, there would have been moves against him for not being aggressive enough in the Ukraine. When you looked at, um, I don't know if you saw a footage where he had some of the government ministers there and he was getting their consent to the invasion and some of them were quite nervous about the whole thing. We're really trying to say, yeah, kind of, it's a good idea to go in. But And he was really putting it on them and saying, speak plainly, I want your answer and kind of it better be a yes, you agree with me. Yes. I think right. he was a real driver of it. I don't think that he risked uh, an internal revolt for not being aggressive enough. Well, I remember back in the whole Russiagate days, we did a number of shows about how Russia works and that kind of stuff and the oligarchs, et cetera, et cetera. There seems to be, I mean, no one really knows, I don't think, uh, outside of the inner circle how it works, but the, a lot of the authors that I were reading suggest that there's basically a cabal 
in Russia. The reason Putin's been in power for as long as he has is there is a cabal that he helped set up after he took power where there's a pretty secure, sometimes they leave and end up dead, but there's a group of rich guys, a lot of them are former KGB mm -hmm. guys like himself, that divvied up the power amongst themselves when the Soviet Union, ended, well, when Yeltsin's fake regime ended, Clinton, the, the, the American-supported Yeltsin regime finally collapsed right. and Putin took over. There's a, you know, the all of the major um, assets of Russia, energy, telecoms, television, media, etc., was divided up amongst a handful of guys. Putin's job, Putin and Medvedev's job, is to run the government apparatus, and then they've got friends running the security apparatus, the military, all of the all of the infrastructure. It's a cabal of guys that that yeah. work together. Now, Ukraine is a major trading partner of all of these guys, including the guys that Hunter Biden was working with after the US coup in 2014, mm -hmm. right? There's a whole bunch of guys that rely on trade, you know, billions of dollars of trade every year Russia does with Ukraine, which is going to go. And that's what this is all about, of course. It, it, the reason the US wants to take Ukraine is because all of the US oligarchs want to be the ones that are tapping the wealth of Ukraine and supplying its energy and its gas and all of that kind of stuff, right? It's right. like most wars, I believe this is, it's all about economics and money. Who gets access to the region um, and who doesn't? So uh, Putin's, yeah. I, I'm quite sure Putin's got guys in his cabal that are like, dude, if we lose Ukraine, that's going to cost me a billion dollars a year. Like, I'm not fucking, I'm not sitting still for that, right? That's, yeah. it may yeah. not be his ministers <laughs> that are the ones speaking in his ear, but there's Russian oligarchs that have got massive yeah. interests Behind tied up in Ukraine. If that disappears and they all join the American camp, then a lot of, a lot of guys aren't going to be as rich and happy in Russia as they uh, previously yeah. were. Let me ask real quick. I mean, history has shown that, yeah, 99% of what happens normally has to do with money. Um, I get that. But let me ask you this. What, what is uh, you, you two gentlemen's opinion as far as, because um, I've read one analysis or estimation, whatever the proper term is, that when uh, the Soviet Union collapsed, By the red fell he in. He means he watched a, minute, a video on YouTube. Let me just. Yes. Yes, just just the fifteen second part that mattered. Um, so, so one guy was saying that uh, Putin and you know KGB was really shaken up, and it's been his goal in some form or fashion to bring back um, a greater Russia or the Soviet Empire or whatever proper term that he's trying to get back what was lost, and it's just taken him a while. So. It's probably money, but in your opinions, do you, do you feel like there's anything beyond that where maybe it's national pride, uh, Russian nationalism, or maybe even Putin's own pride? Because you're right, I think he is the driver in this. For sure. Um, do you think it's more than just money or, for or what? For Putin, for sure, there's national pride. Mm -hmm. I, mean, right. I mean, Cam keeps threatening to talk about the speech. Well, it's next in three, my notes. Hey, after, it's next. After about three hours, <laughs> Shut up. we'll get to it. <laughs> if you but, but you can see in his speech, there's genuine 
pride, national pride that he's trying to restore for sure. But, well, we, um, but, but just, I just want to push back one more thing. When, yeah. If it looked like Ukraine was opening up to the West and that the mm-hmm. oligarchs wouldn't like that, presumably if the oligarchs already own stuff in the Ukraine and businesses, the West coming in just means there's more buyers and they can sell some of this stuff. I mean, that, that's how it normally works, isn't it? So right. I, I still, I'm still not convinced that the oligarchs were going to be forcing Putin um, to, to invade because if the West moves into the Ukraine, uh, it's just more buyers for the stuff that they'd acquired. No, no, no it's, not, it's not about acquiring. It's about they have contracts to buy and supply. It's trade mm. deals mm. they have with Ukraine. We've, right. we've, I mean, if you go back over the uh, trade history of Ukraine over the last 10, 15 years, you see a lot of this sort of stuff. Again, gets back to the Hunter Biden stuff that we talked about during the last election. You know, the, these, these uh, Russian oil and gas businesses, just as one example, that are supplying Ukraine with energy and, mm-hmm. you know, other, other you know, resources the Americans want the Ukrainian government, the Ukrainian business to stop buying from Russia and buy from them and their allies, you know, European okay. countries yep. as well. It's not that they own it. It's that, that they have contracts okay. to supply. Okay. Zero-sum game. That could be the case. Could be. I'm not saying it is, but reading between the mm. lines and having read a lot of stuff about these trade deals, I mean, and a lot of stuff about the Putin cabal, the Russian cabal, that seems to make sense to me. Now... Let's talk about Putin's speech, seeing as you two... Uh, Isn't that next week? Pressuring. There's no next week. We do it all now, my friend. Oh. If you need a toilet break... We started at nine. Are we breaking for lunch? I just, <laughs> I just want to know. Are we breaking for lunch? Ray, Ray and I wear adult diapers to get through these things. We just yeah, keep yeah. going. When I do wear pants, there's <laughs> diapers underneath. Yes. Yeah. Now... I'm no expert on Ukrainian history, but uh, did you guys watch Putin's speech in full? I read it. Okay. Yeah, I read it. Okay, I watched it. Um, It was interesting because before I did, I'd seen the American and Australian media coverage talking about it being rambling and deranged and paranoid and all this kind of stuff. Then I got an email from one of our listeners in just outside of Moscow who said, um, uh, I saw our leader's speech today, obviously very heartfelt, very passionate. He's very, you know, he feels like he's been pushed into a corner and he has to act and he doesn't want to do it, but he feels like he has to. And I said, that's interesting because the media coverage I'm seeing is saying that it was deranged and rambling. So I sat down and watched the whole thing. Now, again, I'm no expert on Ukrainian history, but everything that he said... Well, like the first half hour of it was basically the history of Russia and Ukraine. So I can understand why Western media coverage said it was deranged because they're like, what is this thing called history? I've never heard of that before. How does that work? Is he just making this stuff up? Where's he? It's just like, it's just like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones. Where's he getting all this from? They never read a fucking history book in their life. It seemed to me like it was a pretty accurate brief history between Russia and Ukraine. Did you guys get anything different from it? I got that as well. And, I mean, he was quite critical of former Russian leaders. So there's an honesty about it. Yes. Mm. Critical of Lenin, critical of Stalin. He didn't mention Gorbachev and Yeltsin, but sort of 
you know, right. talked about the leaders at the time of the the, the communist leaders at right. the fall of the the Soviet Union made major mistakes in the way that they gave away stuff, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Very critical, but it was a yeah. pretty good, you know, maybe slightly self-serving, slight bias, but a pretty good encapsulation of the history between Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. Just before but, you go on, the thing that's yeah the thing that strikes me about it is. I couldn't imagine any of our Western leaders <laughs> giving a speech like that. No, Could you talking about American history. Biden yeah. or Johnson or Australia's Morrison doing anything nearly like this. I just and couldn't imagine it. I couldn't tell if, it, if he was reading from a teleprompter or it was off the cuff. Did you get a sense for... I don't think he was which? reading... I don't think he was reading because when I watched the video, everybody in the room was like a good 20 or 30 yards away. And it's him and the desk and there's a side desk and the plants and the phones, which was like 1970. It was weird. But anyway, when they did several camera angles, I did not see. I'm not saying there weren't, but I did not see uh, teleprompters. And it, and it was like he was just, you know, speaking off the cuff from what I, I can I, tell. I think he had to read it. There's too much specific stuff in terms of going dates on. and things. I yeah. think he had to. Maybe he's a historian. It. Historian or podcast. He, or he just yeah. really knows his well, shit. I don't, I, well, you know, it went, went for over an hour, so he probably is a podcaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but see, now, to getting back to Cam's point, if an American president sat down and wanted to address the nation and talked about it, he'd start out, well, the moment that Jesus came down and talked to George Washington, <laughs> and we'd all be like, fucking great. Yes, yes. Amen. Anyway, I'm, I'm done. But that's how it would start. So he talks about how the region was split between Poland and Russia and the Ottoman Empire in the 1700s until Catherine the Great took over most of what is now Ukraine in the late 1700s. The Ukrainian War of Independence from sort of 1917 to 1921, while the Russian Civil War was going on. And then it became part of the USSR, you know, which mm -hmm. Putin explains, you know, Lenin was in a desperate situation, so he agreed to a certain level of... He, he drew a borderline that was maybe a little bit right. uh, too generous and gave them some concessions that were a yeah. bit too generous from Putin's point of view. But they were supposed mm. to be independent, an independent republic. That was the original idea be behind the Soviet Union. Then he says Stalin came in, centralised everything, etc., etc. Didn't get into the Holomodor. But, um, you know, just talked about, you know, a lot of the, the problems, you know, between how much they were given, how much land, how it was drawn, how, as Trevor said right. earlier, sort of, you know, it was sort of thrown together relatively hastily. Um, and then in the second half of the speech, he starts talking about NATO and the U.S. coups, how the U.S. Yeah. had taken control through stealthy methods, as Trevor said before. Which the US, of course, aren't going to like and aren't going to admit. You know, there, there's of all of the media coverage we've read, uh, I've read in the last few weeks about the situation over there, I've, it's very, very difficult to find any mainstream Western coverage, not just US, but Australian coverage as well. I mean, like the, the ABC coverage on this, Trevor, has just been appalling, really, even Stan Grant, appalling. The ABC coverage is just dreadful on this. Like, I've. I would hope for a little bit more objectivity and perspective um, from the ABC and something like this. But just, have you seen anything valuable out of the ABC on this? 
No, I've been throwing stuff at the television screen when I watch the news. <laughs> ABC, meant to be a public broadcaster and provide some balance and, right. and thought, but just repeating a very simplistic line. And The Guardian, no better as well in a lot of articles on The Guardian. Um, yeah. I mean, you expect, you, you have no expectations when it comes to the Murdoch press, but you, you hope for a little bit better from these guys, and they have yeah. been very disappointing. Mm. Can I... Take a stab at it since y'all haven't heard anything. I think this is what the American response would be. Well, yes, we did those things, but it was a different time. We were in the middle of the Cold War. It was a zero-sum game. They were either going to be with us or the Russians, and and we wanted them. You know, I don't. Obviously, that's all bullshit. But two thousand and four and two thousand and fourteen weren't in the middle of the Cold War. Dude. Oh, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about. Older, you know, like when you were talking about uh, the countries in the Middle East being overthrown. I'm sorry, I thought we were talking, you know, the entire history no, of Putin. Kind of like this. Putin CIA. talks so, about yeah. NATO expansion after the end of mm-hmm. the Soviet Union, the collapse of the Soviet Union. He talks right. about the U.S. coups in Ukraine after the collapse of the Soviet Union. It's got nothing to do with the Cold War. Technically, mm. it's supposed to be over. I mean, we've always said on our Cold War show, never, never over, never ended. Just morphed and we no. just call it something different, but it's the same. Right, the same battles going on for the same fundamentally economic reasons. <clears throat> but no, the, the U.S. media, you know, will not acknowledge or accept that NATO exp- that they promised. No, uh, hold, <laughs> I just got a message from Squadcast. You have ten recording minutes remaining for this month. <sighs> oh God. I've got to add an hour. Hold on for $10. Okay. <laughs> got to reach for the credit card. <laughs> okay, I've purchased another hour. Jesus Christ. We've got to stop doing long shows, Ray. Gee, um, they made that easy. Yeah. Gee, they take your money. Easy. Yeah. Wow, yeah. one yeah. click. Yeah. Give if us only, your money if, and you can keep if, going. If only the quality of their recordings was as good as how quickly yes. they take my money. Um mm. They, the, the U.S. media will not acknowledge that the NATO promises were given. And if they do, they go, well, we had our fingers crossed behind our backs at the time. It, it never made it into writing. They trusted us. <laughs> stupid. Yeah. You know, Suckers. how stupid were they? Yeah. they? They trusted us. Shame on them. We went through all that in the last episode. If people didn't hear that, go back yeah. and listen to that. Um, yeah. And they won't acknowledge the coups, obviously, because that doesn't look good. Um, or even, I mean, even if they weren't, because I don't have 100% proof that they were legitimate coups, but they smell like a coup, they look like a coup, there's enough evidence <laughs> that they, you know, right. they were coups. They're not even acknowledging that level of evidence. Well, yes, we did do this, this, and this, but we didn't do that. They're just like, you're called, crazy. What are you talking it's about? Called patriotism. It's called, it's called patriotism. Absolute Plausible denial is really what it is, right? right? You know, yeah, wrapped up in the, the New York Times did a breakdown on some of his speech. Uh, here's one line mm-hmm. from it Mr. Putin's speech was awash with hardline Russian nationalism, angry paranoia toward the West, baseless claims of Ukrainian aggression, a sense of lost imperial pride on the verge of reclamation, and most of all, invocations of history, much of it distorted. Or fabricated. Mm. Yeah. Uh, or oversimplified. Go ahead. I mean, you expect that from the New York Times, which yes. gets back to the earlier point. You just hope for better from the independent ones, but that's just part of the course. Yeah. 
While his comments might have sounded rambling to Western ears, no, they didn't, Mr. Putin may in fact have been articulating what amounted to a calculated series of justifications for a further invasion of Ukraine aimed at the Russian Republic whose support he will need to maintain it. The journalist Max Fisher, of course, avoids any discussion about NATO expansion or the 2014 US coup. So the promise. uh, Yeah. Putin, though, in his speech, did talk a lot about um, corruption in Ukraine, which, you know, just look at their political history in the last 20 odd years. There's no doubt that it's very, very corrupt. So there's, you know, very politically unstable. They've had two coups slash revolutions, whatever you want to call it, since 2004. Um, But at least he admits Russia has a problem as well in his speech. He said, we have our own problems with corruption here in the country, so we know all about it. I was like, wow, you know, there's a big admission. He didn't admit that he's part of it, but he... Others. (laughs) Trying to find the corrupt people. I'm looking for him. I'm looking, looking, looking. Yeah, not me. But he knows they're there, at least. Well, Well, he should know because he's been there for 20 years, so he should know where they're at. They're the guys that leave the fold. When they leave the cabal, they're the corrupt ones who have to get, you know, assassinated. John Wick, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. John Wick, yeah. <laughs> uh, he talks, rightly, about how nobody has been charged over the deaths in Maidon, the hundred or so sniper killings that happened during the protests. Um, mm-hmm. By the way, that reminds me of something else that I read this week. Um, didn't include it in last week's show, but um, I got this from... Uh, Ivan Kachanovsky, uh, who I mentioned in our last show, he's the professor at the University of Ottawa who specialises mm-hmm. in Russian history and has done a lot of stuff on Crimea and Ukraine in recent years. He, um, in one of a, a paper that he wrote, he said, uh, talking about the Maidan killings, moreover, two leaders of Ukraine's far-right Svoboda party stated that a representative of an unnamed Western government told them and other Maidan leaders a few weeks before the massacre that Western governments would turn on the Yanukovych government after casualties among protesters reached 100. The killed Maidan protesters were immediately called the Heavenly 100 and Western governments blamed Yanukovych and his forces and recognised the new Maidan government. Wow. So I haven't drilled. I haven't had time to drill into that and who these people were, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but uh, that's what uh, Kachinovsky uh, wrote. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so he talks about uh, the maiden deaths. This is Putin. He talks about foreign mm-hmm. consultants stealing the wealth of the Ukraine. You know, Hunter Biden didn't mention him by name, right? But- <laughs> We all know that story. Well, if people have been listening to this show for the last few years, you know that story. Um, so, so far, at least in theory, everything that he said is pretty much correct. He's, he's you know, he's literally reading from a bullshit filter uh, episode script, all of this. And, Good for him. you know, we know, and we've also talked, he, he didn't quote it, but we also, we know this from the Confessions of an Economic Hitman, Jack, uh, John, uh, Jack, John, what was his name? You guys have both read that, Jack right? Jack John? Jack John, John John. I'll read it if, it, if I get a free copy. Yes, I'm not going to pay for it. Uh, John Perkins. Mm. I'm aware of it, I haven't read it. Right, John Perkins just came out 
2004. He um, basically his job. He we worked for the IMF or the World Bank, the World Bank, I think. And then he left, and he was a whistleblower. And basically, he said, "Look, um, here's here's what my job entailed uh, when I was at the World Bank. We'd go to leaders of third world countries and say, um, we want you to borrow a lot of money." from World Bank and the IMF. Most of it's going to come from American banks. We want you to put your country massively into debt. It's going to take them mm. a century to pay it off. When you get that money, you're going to use it to uh, bring, you know, pay for American corporations to come in and build your roads and build your hospitals and build your airports and build all of this infrastructure and it's going to be great. Um <laughs> A lot of your people probably aren't going to like you when you do this, but that's okay. You know, a few years from now, you'll be able to retire in Miami, nice mansion, you'll be taken care just, of. Just keep some of that money aside for a rainy day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it'll right. be fine. Yeah. Um, let, me, let, me, let me point out that if you say no to our very generous <laughs> offer, <clears throat> what we will not. then do is go find a disaffected general in your army or two or three, and we'll basically offer them the same deal. Yeah. Uh, they will then overthrow your government with our support. We will tell the world that you're a dirty, dirty commie and yeah. that uh, you were corrupt and we will support his government before it is a government. We'll give right. them air cover, both literal and metaphorical, and then they will just end up... It's going to happen anyway. It's yeah. either you're going to end happen. up in Miami or they're going to end up in Miami and you'll end up dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's going to happen. If... Yeah. That if we can't find disaffected generals to do that, then uh, one of our proxy government partners, Israel, mm -hmm. somebody will come in and assassinate you and take the place over anyway. <laughs> or we'll create we'll create one of our you know countries around your border, depending on where you are. If you're in Latin America, one of the friendly governments will invade and you mm -hmm. know accuse you of you know starting it, and we will take it over anyway. And then it's we'll do happen. It. Yeah. If we can't find a proxy government to invade you and do a job. If we have to, we will come and invade you ourselves. But that will be an absolute last resort right. because we don't yeah. like the optics and it looks bad and we've got to do all this media stuff. Whatever. But e either way, one of these ways, it's going to happen. Yeah. So it's up to you now to make a decision free, about free which one of these pathways. Free will. If, by the way, if you ever reveal any of this, we will <laughs> deny it and say... You're crazy and paranoid and running and conspiracy theories and right. you probably should be overthrown because you're obviously batshit crazy because this discussion never happened and never. I was never here. Right. That, that's what he wrote in his book. And, of course, the Western media went, well, obviously he's batshit crazy. He's, you <laughs> yeah. know, that never happened. Uh, he can't trust anything that he says, etc., etc." So everyone should read that if you haven't already. Now, Putin, back to his speech, he accuses Ukrainian... Ukraine, <laughs> I didn't even bring a drink in with me. He accuses Ukraine of supporting terrorism in Crimea uh, and across other parts of Ukraine, bringing in, I think he said, uh, Islamic terrorists to do stuff. Ooh. I'm not aware of any evidence uh, supporting that. Either of you aware of... Evidence? No. That might have been a little bit of uh, furphy, I think, on Vladimir's part. Yeah. Yeah. He did say Crimea made a choice to be with Russia, and that is, in fact, back... No, that is backed up again by Ivan Kachanovsky at the University of Ottawa, uh, right. if he's to be believed. Um, he said... Um, 
I read his report, but here's like a summary. The absolute majority of Crimeans before and after the annexation supported joining Russia. Right. A poll conducted shortly before... Oh, then he goes into Donbass, right? Uh, sorry. A poll, a poll con- uh, conducted shortly before the start of war in Donbass showed... This is 2014. Showed that most of its residents supported separatism, ranging from autonomy within Ukraine to independence or joining Russia. The majority of scholars who research this conflict classify the war in Donbass as a civil war with direct Russian military interventions in support of pro-Russian separatists in August 2014 and January, February 2015, etc., etc. But in Crimea, he says it was out and out. The the majority uh, wanted annexation by Russia. So he agrees with Putin on that. Mm-hmm. Um he says, Putin says Ukraine wants a nuclear weapon, says they have leftover Soviet tech, uh, wouldn't be hard for them to get it. Mm. Okay, you know, I don't know whether or not that's true. I'm sure every country wants a nuclear weapon. Fuck, I want a nuclear weapon. <laughs> um, been trying to buy one on the yeah. dark net well, for years, so it's harder than you might think. Well, when it, well, since he's been building his troops up on their borders for months and there's been clashes before, you know, obviously if the if the Ukrainians wanted to take that somehow lingering Soviet tech and make an atomic bomb or nuclear missile, you think they would have actually made an effort? I mean, have we heard anything about them having a dirty bomb or a weapon or whatever? I mean, they haven't threatened Moscow with it. So it sounds to me like that's another stretch of his imagination. But he's to me, he's just playing the Israel line. Yes. You know? yeah. Oh, Iran's going to have a nuclear bomb within five years. Yeah. You know, Saddam Hussein, we got to invade. He's going to, yeah. So that was us. Yeah. If, he, if we can do it, he can do it. He says the US has sent billions of dollars of weapons to Ukraine since 2014. We are now. I haven't verified the exact amount of weapons yeah. that have been sent to Ukraine or money to buy weapons that have been given to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Either of you got numbers on that? No, I we'll do probably not. never know, will we? That, what the truth is on these things, this is part of the problem with all this. It's, we'll never know exactly. Cloak and dagger. Mm. But we're, well, we're going to be sending in weapons now, I can tell you that. Go ahead. Here's an article, here's an article from Politico dated 18th of June 2021. The Biden White House has temporarily halted a military aid package to Ukraine that would include lethal weapons, a plan originally made in response to aggressive Russian troop movements along Ukraine's border this spring. This is like June of last year, right? The aid package would be worth up to $100 million, according to four people familiar with internal deliberations. Um, but later on in the article, it says, since Russia's 2014 invasion of Ukraine and annexation of Crimea, the United States has provided some $2.5 billion in military aid to Kiev, including unarmed drones, radios, and Javelin anti-tank missiles. So Politico agrees with uh, <laughs> mm. right. on at least, at least that, that amount. Point. Yes. Yeah. We said yeah. billions. They said two and a half billion, so gets a check for that. Mm. 38 minutes into his speech, he says, um, NATO and every country has the right to choose their own security arrangements. NATO, NATO members in every other country, which mm-hmm. is true, and he acknowledges that. Every mm-hmm. country has a right, he says. 
that doesn't sound that deranged. But he says international law also says countries can't create threats against other countries. Now, this is kind of true if you get into international law. If you, if you read the Paris Charter, written in 1990 during the sort of collapse of the Soviet Union and this, the establishment of this new world order, as mm -hmm. people, some of our listeners keep trying to tell me there's a new world order. Thank um, God. They said, written in the Paris Charter, is security is indivisible and the security of every participating state is inseparably linked to that of all the others. Mm. You could interpret that as meaning, well, you know, you, you can't have security by threatening the security of another country. And from Putin's perspective, Russia's perspective, you know, who we, we quoted a guy at the beginning of the episode last time... Um, Mr. Pukov, uh, who runs the Center for Analysis of Strategies and Technologies, it's a privately owned think tank in Moscow, he said, the West just doesn't understand how much this is a question of life or death for us. Ukraine and NATO, from my point of view, or Russia's, would be the equivalent of nuclear war. That's how some Russians feel about Ukraine joining NATO. I get that, but I'm still having a trouble of making the mental leap of Russia can practically do anything it wants to Ukraine because Russian security may be threatened. What about Ukrainian security? I mean, they are currently being beyond threatened. They're being attacked. And so I, I have a hard time saying every country should be able to defend itself. Okay, well, what about Ukraine? What if Ukraine was a much bigger, richer country with a lot of weapons and they harassed Russia, would he be bitching about that? I don't know. So to me, it's like this is a, some of this is self-serving when he's blatantly, you know, cross borders and he's shooting missiles at cities and innocent people are dying. And so I don't know. I have a hard time emotionally or morally supporting him when he's killing civilians right now. Yeah, we don't. It's not not our job to support him or condemn. That's true. Him, I'm right? not we're Tucker Carlson. About, I apologize. Mm. I, I I retract. We're talking about facts and perspectives. Mm. Yeah, but keep in mind, yes, he's attacking Ukraine. Why? Not theoretically, they might become part of the enemy. The U.S. We think we have very good reason to mm -hmm. believe orchestrated a coup in Ukraine. In 2014, and again in, before that in 2004. Right. So the country on his border that was previously an ally mm -hmm. joined the enemy camp after the enemies orchestrated a coup of the government eight years ago. Uh, eight years ago, yeah, give right. or take. The, the, the whole thing sort of demonstrates a lot of hypocrisy, I think, because really what Putin has been saying is this, this NATO organisation, you're building up all these weapons right on our border, very close to us and pointing them at us. And it makes us feel nervous. And, you know, the West says, what are you talking about? But then what does Putin do? He builds up his defence on his own borders and shuffles them right up to it and starts pointing weapons at the Ukraine. And, and people go, you're making us nervous. Stop doing that. And they just don't get that, hey, doesn't this work both ways? So often with these things, it's so openly no, hypocritical and shameless and yeah. the unwillingness to acknowledge what does this look like from the other person's point of view. That's the part that gets missing so much in these disputes with 
with That's China great. and Australia and all these things as well, is the inability to put yourselves in the shoes of the other person and think about how does it look from their point of view. And like we said last time, if China put missiles on the border of the US mm. and Canada, pointing at the US, and on the border of Mexico, and then surrounded the east and west coast of the United States with nuclear submarines pointing at the US, and where was the, what would the US do? Would they go, well, <laughs> I guess that's just that's they have a right the way. to do yeah. that, yeah. you know? Yeah. They said we're protecting Canada and Mexico against uh, US threats. Uh, potential US threats, US is going, okay, I guess that's fine. No <laughs> fucking way. They put one lot of missiles off the coast of Florida yeah. in the 60s and Kennedy lost his fucking mind, nearly went to war over right. it. But right, but I, I think, uh, and I'm not going to speak for Trevor, I'll speak for myself, but, uh, and I know we're, we're getting close to the end of, unless you've got more money on your credit card to buy another <laughs> hour, but um, um, at the end of the... I got your oh, credit shit. card. Trevor's credit card. The, good, good. I feel better now. At the end of the day, and everything you said, absolutely true. Uh, you should consider the other side. America would absolutely freak out. But Putin is the one who launched this attack. There's going to be sanctions against this country for years. You know the Americans are going to try to send in weapons and bog Russian troops down. I just don't get how Putin, th either what his end game is or, or how he thinks he can extract himself from this. Is he going to have to hold on to the Ukraine? Is he going to have to put in his own puppet government? I mean, I totally get why he's doing what he's doing. I'm just having a hard time seeing him. How does this not get worse well, for well, Russia? The, well, the Americans the have already said they're not sending troops. Right, so, no, absolutely. So if he, just, if he just secures the Donbass region... And, right. And, and That's what I thought and, he was going to do. Yeah, well, and he's potentially just dropping bombs on the other areas to keep him busy and occupied in the meantime, you could easily yeah. see him hanging on to the Donbass and saying thank you very much. But um, yeah. just back to his speech, Cam, mm. the, the best part of his speech, and you're probably going to get to it, I thought, was a bit where he said that he, he Putin, tried to join NATO. That's the part that got me. And they said, oh... They well, said, it's true. Oh, we're not quite. We're not. We talked about that quite ready for you. And it's like, at yeah. the end of the day, the whole point of this organisation is to point weapons at you. So we can't really have you join because it doesn't really work. Yeah, be, but the fact that tacky. he actually, the fact that he actually asked, was uh, hilarious. Yeah. Really. Yeah. yeah, it's one of the first yeah. things he did. I mean, Gorbachev and Yeltsin before him had tried to talk about either, you know. Yeah, I mean, everyone thought it was the end of NATO, the end of well, the collapse of the Soviet Union should have theoretically been the end of NATO. Right. And they talked about Gorbachev and Yeltsin wanted to create a new pan-European security organisation that everyone was part of, a new global order where everyone's security, which, I mean, it's basically just fix the United Nations Security Council and it's done, mm. right? That's the whole fucking point of the Security Council, mm. but, you know, that's never going to yeah. happen. Um and then when Putin got in, yeah, he did. He was like, well, let us join then and we'll all be part of it together and we can all sit down at the table. And the US were like, fuck off. No, no way. You know, as you said, like, you know, it exists to fight you. Not, yeah. you can't Maybe be part he didn't of it. pitch it correctly. He should have said, let us join and then we'll all point our weapons at China. Let's do that. <laughs> if he'd yeah, have sold it yeah. like that, well, if he'd have sold it to China like that, too, he might, have, yeah. he might have been allowed in. Yeah. No, back then, in the late 90s, China was still, oh, you know, 
See you in North Korea? He needed to poke need to poke him a bit and get a bit of angst happening and then pitch it. Yeah. 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 Back then, everyone thought there's no way China's ever going to be a major mm. power again. Yeah. Um, you know, he, when he's talking about his security interests, and look, I, I, I don't care whether or not you like Putin or you hate Putin or you think he's a good guy or a bad guy or whatever, you cannot deny that Russia has legitimate security interests. Yeah. And that NATO is the enemy of Russia, even though technically, you know, they rewrote their charter. Now they're all about something, something, something. But everyone knows that they exist to, you to know, check Russia. Fight Russia. Yeah. yeah. No, no one's no one's confused about that. So they have Russia has genuine security interests, as do the NATO members, of course. But he said they ignore our protests and complaints. NATO documents say Russia is the main threat and enemy, he said. Um, but he, he said they, they treat us like a yapping dog. He, 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 that was his sort of analogy. Right. He said we keep, we, we keep trying to bring them to the table to discuss our concerns, and we know this is true. And as I said before, they just treat him, they, Biden says it's a non-starter. We're not even going to talk about it, not on, not, not on the right. table. And Putin said they just treat us like a yapping dog. He said Ukraine hasn't been abiding by the Minsk agreements. Now, this is somewhat controversial, as these agreements often are, and particularly with Russia, as we know, with the Yalta Agreement, etc., etc. Um, you know, the, the, in 2014, Minsk, the Minsk One Agreement was signed between a bunch of parties, including Ukraine and the Donbass separatist parties and, you know, Russia and a number of organisations involved in it, but they weren't actually signatories to it. It was supposed to call for a ceasefire agreement, peacekeeping talks, didn't hold. Right. 2015, they signed another Minsk agreement known as Minsk II. Um, Russia, Ukraine, the OSCE, uh, leaders of the separatist areas, 13-point agreement they signed in February 2015. France, Germany were all there involved in it issued a declaration of support. The deal's 13 points were immediate comprehensive ceasefire, withdrawal of heavy weapons by both sides, OSCE monitoring. OSCE is the Organisation for Security and Cooperation in Europe, for people who aren't familiar with them. Dialogue on interim self-government for Donetsk and Luhansk in accordance with Ukrainian law and acknowledgement of special status by parliament. Pardon, amnesty for fighters, exchange of hostages, prisoners, humanitarian assistance, resumption of socioeconomic ties, including pensions, Ukraine to restore control of state border, withdrawal of foreign armed formations, military equipment and mercenaries, constitutional reform in Ukraine, including decentralization with specific mention of Donetsk and Luhansk, elections in Donetsk and Luhansk, and intensify trilateral contact groups work, including representatives of Russia, Ukraine and the OSCE. Both sides, of course, are saying that the other side hasn't abided by the agreements. Yeah. Uh, probably, realistically, truth on both sides, yeah. right? Uh, <clears throat> Russia's going, well, we don't have to abide it because we're not actually a signatory to it. We just signed the declaration of support, not the actual agreement. It's up to you two to sort it out, and you haven't. So, and, and you know, okay, it's been seven, eight years since these things were signed. Right. Eventually, something has to happen, right? Something's going to break. He's saying that Ukraine is stepping it up and they're going in to support the separatists. Mm -hmm. right? 
Um, it's called the Minsk Conundrum. <laughs> like both both sides interpret the document differently. Oh, like Yalta. Ukraine sees yes, Ukraine sees it as an instrument to re-establish their control over the disputed territories. Mm-hmm. They want a ceasefire. They want control of the Russia-Ukraine border. They want elections that they run in Donbass. Um, Russia views it as obliging Ukraine to basically give the separatists, you know, their own states, right, right? with full autonomy and trade, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's it's really, really messy, the whole thing. But the, just finishing up with the Putin mm. speech thing, I encourage everyone to, to wa- watch it. Don't read it. Watch it. Because the other great thing about Putin, <laughs> say what you want about Hitler, <laughs> but at least he killed Hitler. Um, the, the thing, when you watch Putin give a speech, I yeah, you know, the, the US media call him deranged and rambling, etc., he is very, his speeches are like this. Well, you know, <laughs> it, uh, this is what happened. Is what I is. said we were going to yeah. do this. We're doing yeah. this. Uh, he's very resigned. He's like, do you like his size? Look, uh, I like his size. Yeah, <sighs> lots of so size. Anyway, as I was saying, I can't believe I have to fucking do this. But let me just tell you what's going to happen from here on in. He really like is a it's podcaster. Not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> NPR podcaster. He's like, he should be on doing Ray's yeah. World War Two show. He's, he's too good. It's it's he's not ranting right. and raving. He's not a Saddam Hussein. He's not even a Fidel Castro, who I loved. But he's not a passionate Latino mm-hmm. or an Arab, di- you know, dictator or strongman with Obama. Not even mm-hmm. a Trump. Right. Yeah, you know, he's just very, very quiet. Matter of yeah. fact, this is how it's going to... Like, he's so far from coming across as, like, a deranged mm. madman that, you know, it's it's ridiculous. The depiction of him right across the Western media with his speech as a deranged, rambling madman, nothing could be further from the truth. And, but so here's the thing, as I always say, when you have to lie that hard in your depiction of your enemy... When you have to character assassinate him that hard, so you go. Yeah, when you have to go to such extremes to manufacture an attack on yeah. a guy, mm. rather than attack the content of the speech, you have to make it sound like he's a madman and deranged. You're automatically. I can't. It's like as soon as I get emails from people going, <laughs> I got one the other day here. They watched my film. Loved your film. Great film. Um, you know about you know you know how Bill Gates is uh, putting microchips <laughs> in your yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. As soon as as soon as you say Stop. that, I'm like yep. delete Stop. next. Yeah, right. It's the yeah. same with the Western media. As soon as you have to make shit up to bolster your argument or your propaganda, right. you lose all credibility. I cannot take anything you say seriously. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, look, we go on with a lot of bullshit on our shows too, right? We, 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 we make up a lot of funny stories, but people know we're doing it for entertainment value when we're being silly. When we're talking about real shit, we try and stay objective as, as yeah. objective as possible like you know it's it's Stand it's difficult always obviously with cognitive biases and that kind of stuff but we try yeah. and hold ourselves to an objective standard 
But when you read, like, please, people, listen to this. Go out, find it on C-SPAN. This is where I found it. I don't know if it's anywhere else, but just search Putin speech C-SPAN. Watch the whole thing. Mm. It's dubbed. There's a translation over the top of his voice. You can still hear his voice, but there's a translation. Listen to it. Watch the delivery. Listen to it and then read the Western media coverage of it and see if the two things line up. And then listen to all, watch all of your friends on Facebook talking about how deranged his speech was and how rambling it was because they're just, you know, re-articulating what they're getting from the media that they're watching. And then ask yourself, well, who are these people that I, I think I wonder are the, the commentators, the journalists who wrote that it's deranged, I wonder how many of them actually watched the whole thing. Did it just take mm. just it just take okay, one or two yeah. to say, oh, it was a deranged speech and the rest of them just copy it? Like, to Follow some extent, along. I reckon yeah. that's what happens. Absolutely. Well, no, it was the mm. State Department, the US State Department that yes. said it was deranged. Oh, that's Jen Psaki said it was that's deranged or yeah. one yeah. of these people. And they're just propagating the US State Department's propaganda. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's like saying, hey, I want you to watch a speech, okay. but before you do, just know that this guy is absolutely bonkers. <laughs> okay, watch it. Yeah. I mean, I've already planted that in your brain, yeah. but go ahead. Mm. Don't bother watching yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, don't, don't bother, bother reading trust the Bible. Me. You trust know what's me. in it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. He's crazy. Before we run out of time and I have to buy another hour's yes. worth of time on Squadcast, yes. I want to ask you the question, why now? Why oh. now? Mm. He's arguably waited a long time. So, but, but um, why now? You know, he's he's tested the market. He's put his troops there. He's had assurances from the USA that they won't get involved by amassing his forces. So, having heard that, he goes, "Well, why not pull the trigger? I'll just get a few more troops in, and away we go." So, maybe maybe it's not that long since. Uh, uh, Obama, I think, gave assurances, didn't he, that he wouldn't get involved in Ukraine. But, you know, he's, I think he's tested the market. He's found assurance that if he does do it, he'll probably get away with it. And, and that's what he's done. The other thing is he needed a bit of time in terms of the consequence of sanctions. So with Crimea, yes. there were sanctions imposed and... Um, I've been reading a bit about from Michael Hudson, who's an economist, wrote the book Super Imperialism. And one of his arguments was that the, uh, the Russian economy has diversified uh, since sanctions were imposed. And in fact, Putin, after uh, Putin imposed them himself, he said, we're not going to import stuff. So he forced his economy to, to broaden so that they become more impervious to sanctions. So... He's needed a bit of time for that, where they can make their own cheese and grow their own stuff and import less. And the other one was, um, so yeah, we haven't spoken much about sanctions, but there's a good argument that the sanctions really won't work because the West will continue to buy the gas and the oil and the rest yes. of the stuff, the uh, Russians can look after themselves. They're kind of self-sufficient already in, in most regards. And... The other part with sanctions was whether there's this whole sort of um, swift system of sort of transfers of money in the banking system and and there was a threat that they would disconnect the Russians from the swift um, banking system. And, and Michael Hudson's argument is that uh, over the last few years, Russia has been working hard at an alternative system 
of payment if that happens. So, mm. so I think um, I think he's just been lining up his ducks in a row, testing the market, and has reached the point where why not? And he's he's getting on. Like how, how old's Putin? He's he's got a sense of history and a sense of his place in history, and yeah, you know his speech definitely had a flavour of of nationalistic pride that we haven't really. You know, you need to read it to see that. And um, I, he, he's aware of his place in history and is thinking, well, I've got to get going here because I may not be around that much longer. It takes a while to conquer a country. I better get cracking. So uh, that, right. that would be reasons why, I think. He's 69. He's 60. Oh, my God, he looks great for 69. And Riding mm. bare naked on a horse will do that for you. Mm. Good for him. And we did... we. We talked about this in the last episode. Like Russia, the Russians are a very proud people. They're a very proud country with a very long and storied history mm-hmm. and an empire. Um, they, you know, yeah, there's a lot of Russian pride in Putin and in the Russian people in general and legitimately so. I mean, they were, uh, you know, a tremendous empire. Then they formed the Soviet Union and you know, made a good game of it, holding back the Americans for um, 70 years. So, yes, a lot of pride, and there's nothing wrong. I mean, for the Americans to sort of snarkily criticise Putin as for having Russian pride is uh, the greatest hypocrisy of all. I mean, it's Americans believe yeah. that Jesus uh, came down and created their country and wants he them did. to rule the universe, the known watch, universe. Watch yourself. I that know, was white Jesus. You were there, right? Yeah, I was there. But if I could try yeah. to... Answer that question. Well, first of all, I don't know about you two, but I did not think we would be where we are today. Is that naivete on my part? I have no idea. But what I thought Putin was doing was lining up the troops for months to demonstrate, physically demonstrate. He's like, hey, I am very serious about this. I've been talking to you for years. You're ignoring me. I'm going to, this is a gesture. This is a military gesture on my part. And I thought maybe he would, you know, just take those two regions. But, um, I thought maybe he was just like, this is how serious I am. This is a big deal to me. And and from what we were talking about uh, last time we did a bullshit filter, that gentleman that we watched a video on who's, who's written several papers, um, the Americans were just like, look, we had the Cold War. You lost your second rate pot power now. You don't get to come to the table. You don't get to make requests. Fuck off. In hindsight, that was a huge mistake by the Americans, but I think arrogance and whatever national pride uh, convinced us that we didn't have to listen to the Russians anymore. But Putin is like, just like Stalin uh, during Yalta, this is a matter of life and death for us. This is not a game. And again, the Russians are showing us how seriously this is to them. Well, let me, I think you both make good points, but let me throw another thing into the timing of it. On the 4th of February... Um, mm-hmm. two weeks or so ago, mm-hmm. um, Putin and Xi Jinping got together at the Beijing Winter Olympics and s- signed, more than had a chat, they signed the joint statement of the Russian Federation and the People's Republic of China on the international relations entering a new era and the global sustainable development. Right. <clears throat> Um, according to Richard Sakwa, again, the professor at uh, University of Kent, a professor of Russian and European politics, he called it a landmark document. 
No state can or should ensure its own security separately from the security of the rest of the world and at the expense of the security of other states. The international community should actively engage in global governance to ensure universal, comprehensive, indivisible and lasting security is uh, what is in the document. And one of the things that's in the document, it's also what Putin basically said in his speech. Sakwa said that this document will go down in history as a signal moment when the Western view, I think it means a single moment, when the Western view of the world and international relations was fundamentally challenged. Mm. So two and a bit weeks ago, Russia and China signed a deal to cover each other's asses. And the document is pretty broad. I mean, it basically says um, that there are no limits to how they're going to work with each other and support each other. It's a statement of cooperation and friendship Mm. and watching each other's back and economic and military and political cooperation and friendship. Um, I could read the whole thing. It's really good. It's worth a read. Like, it's a beautiful document. Mm. (laughs) Um, You may or may not take it at face value, but it says, Today the world is going through momentous changes and humanity is entering a new era of rapid development and profound transformation. It sees the development of such processes and phenomena as multipolarity, economic globalization, the advent of information society, cultural diversity, transformation of the global governance architecture and world order. There is increasing interrelation and independence between the states. A trend has emerged towards redistribution of power in the world, and the international community is showing a growing demand for the leadership aiming at peaceful and gradual development. At the same time as the pandemic of the new coronavirus infection continues, the international and regional security situation is complicating, and the number of global challenges and threats is growing from day to day. Some actors representing but the minority on the international scale continue to advocate unilateral approaches to addressing international issues and resort to force. They interfere in the infernal affairs of other states, infringing their legitimate rights and interests and incite contradictions, differences and confrontation, thus hampering the development and progress of mankind against the opposition from the international community. The sides, their sides, call on all states to pursue well-being for all and, with these ends, to build dialogue and mutual trust, strengthen mutual understanding, champion such universal human values as peace, development, equality, justice, democracy and freedom, respect the rights of peoples to independently determine the development paths of their countries and the sovereignty and the security and development interests of states, to protect the United Nations-driven international architecture and the international law-based world order, seek genuine multipolarity with the United Nations and its Security Council, playing a central and coordinating role, promote more democratic international relations and ensure peace, stability and sustainable development across the world. That's just the introduction. They sound like the good guys. They do sound like the good guys. They're the victims. I read the entire thing and it's all Mm. good. It sounds Mm. like something that you would have a kumbaya moment. So so Russia's closer ties with China would be another reason why they're not so worried about the sanctions. Because what do they buy from America? America doesn't make anything anymore. Exactly. It just has financial economy. So the we Russians influencers. and the Russians will be thinking, well, if we need something, we'll just buy it from China. We'll buy it from China. Next door. 
And China will just say, oh, sorry, America, we can't make any of your stuff anymore because we're giving it all to Russia now. So they're going to continue to sell their oil and gas to Europe and they'll continue to buy what they need from China and Mm. the sanctions will not have that much of an effect on them. And um, they flex a bit of muscle. And it is a significant moment in, in terms of the American empire taking a hit where they're acknowledging they're not going to enter this um, military battle and there's really not much they can do about it. And that's kind of a first time they've acknowledged that in a long time, if ever, I would have thought. Without right. launching an all-out nuclear war against Russia, mm. there's not mm. a lot America right. can do about it. Sanctions, they're like slapping them with a wet fish, basically. Mm. Yeah. Mm. If I can give an American's perspective, this is going to be hard for us because, as you know, the United States spends as much as the next 10 nations, something like that, on our military. And we're not going to do anything. And we don't want to do anything. And let's be honest, we don't really, we're kind of afraid. We don't want to be involved in this. And so the idea that America is the superpower, once again, is going to be shaken um, by to, to its core. And, and the Americans are going to have to rethink our position in the world. I know y'all are already there and you already consider, you already have your views of America. But as far as Americans ourselves, we're still number one. God was white, blue, you know, blue eyes, blonde hair, whatever. But um, wrapped, in, what wrapped, a in, Ray, wrapped in an American flag. Ray, Ray yes, what a yes, he was. Spending 10 times as much obviously isn't enough. We need to spend 20 times as 20, much. That's 20. Yeah, the spending. That's, that's we need robots because we don't want to send yeah. American troops, so we need robots. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. So I'll, I'll talk to Biden about that. Yeah. Well, that's all I have on my notes for today. You'll all be pleased to know. We, see, we got in in under two hours. It wasn't as bad as you tried to make out. <laughs> that's good. My nappy was getting full. So I, to <laughs> I took mine off 15 minutes ago. It smells in here really bad. You, you probably well, didn't want to know that. Yeah. We, might, we might be back, uh, boys and girls, in the oh, next month, depending yeah. on how it this is plays out from years. here to wrap it up. But um, yeah. <coughs> not, never yeah. boring. Let's let's all cross our fingers and hope it ends quickly and it doesn't end in a nuclear yes. war because that would really suck. Yeah, can I sort of yes. wrap it up, the whole story? Just, yes, you can, just, a, just in a few words. It's a little bit poetic, but I think this could catch on. Just, just send this out there and see if it catches on, you know. Thinking about this whole issue, you know, Russia, I think you could say... It's a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. Let's just see if that works, if that catches on. Did you come up with that? That's brilliant, yeah. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) I can top that. I can top that. Uh, If you ever read the book or saw the movie uh, The Hunt for Red October, where the Admiral says to Jack Ryan, son, the Russians don't even take a dump without making a plan. (laughs) What is is Putin's plan? I want to know what Putin's end game is. And of course, we'll all find out together. But I'm done. Don't forget to check out the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove to keep up with more politics from Australia's most handsome podcaster, Trevor Burr.